last week, for those of you uh, who were here, um, you all have heard Dave Ellis speak with passion and eloquence about how we should teach and encourage our children and young people as they grow. And he went on to speak of the church's call to the vulnerable young in our our city, to prisoners and to the homeless, to those who find themselves on the margins. In other words, how to do justice. Some of you uh, last night, Tottenham fans, will have felt in the 23rd second of the uh, Champions League final that they know the meaning of injustice, but it's not quite what I'm thinking about this morning. Today, I want to follow on from Dave's talk, from what he was saying last week, and I want to explore God's heart for justice. And I have to say that more than any other talk that I remember preparing, I've struggled in preparing this for a number of reasons. And so this morning, on the one hand, I'm slightly divided. I'm excited that we're going to explore this issue of justice together. But on the other hand, I'd rather be talking about any other subject. And I think there's a number of reasons why I've struggled. I'm conscious that in the room today, there will be people with a whole variety of internal responses to me even saying we're going to talk about justice. For some people here, it will be... uh, you're passionate about justice and you're thinking, I'm so pleased we're talking about it. For others, you love the compassion ministries that uh, you're involved with within the church, but you're not quite sure how justice fits into that. For other, others, the word justice will have all sorts of connotations. It may, you may think of a, a very particular set of political opinions or beliefs. For others still, the very fact that I'm mentioning the word justice, your first thought is, well, I'm going to leave here feeling worse than when I came in this morning. And I'm afraid I can't make any guarantees on that front. Or you may feel very particularly that justice is something that the church shouldn't really be getting involved with. So that's one of the reasons I've been concerned about preparing for this morning. But the other is one of of practicality. So over the last few weeks, I've been reading through passage after passage in the Bible that talks about justice. And the reality is, I got to about a week and a half ago, and I thought I had pages and pages and pages of scriptures, and I didn't know where to begin. Because there is so much in the Bible that talks about God's heart for justice. But the main reason that I've struggled in preparing for today is not one of practicality, it's not one of perception, but it's one of the heart. Because today... What I want to be able to do is do justice to justice, or more importantly, to God's heart for justice. See, as you work your way through the collection of books that makes up the Bible, one of the consistent themes from start to finish is God's heart for justice. What Nicholas Walterstorff, the writer, describes as the quartet of the vulnerable is referred to time and time again. The widow the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. In Zechariah 7, verse 8 to 10, it says this, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. 
And so this morning, I want to look at God's heart for justice through three lenses. The lens of how, of who, and of what. How God sees worship, who God created, and what God became. So firstly, how God sees worship. As I mentioned earlier, the story that unfolds throughout the Bible includes God's consistent approach to the quartet of the vulnerable, to the fatherless, the widow, the immigrant, the poor. And that's not an exclusive list, but it represents those who throughout history have experienced vulnerability and mistreatment and oppression. And so we see this through, as I said, throughout the Bible. We see it in God's law, in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus. We see it in what are called the books of wisdom, in Proverbs, in Psalms. We see it in Jesus' teaching and his lifestyle that are recorded in the New Testament. And then we see it in the letters of the New Testament, that effectively they were the guidelines to the early church of how to live. But in one sense, we find the true essence of this in a bunch of books that are called the the books of the prophets. You see, the, the Bible is a story of God's people. And consistently throughout the history of uh, the Jewish people, God's, God's original people, the people kept on stepping away. They kept on turning away from God. And time and time again, God sent prophets to his people to tell them to, to turn back to him. So in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea, Amos, Micah and Zephaniah, Time and time again, we see this call to come back. And time and time again, it's the same thing that God says. God highlights the issue of justice, or more particularly injustice. And he points to the way that his people have treated the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. And he tells his people that you've neglected these things, and then he points to worship and fasting, basically the people's way of connecting with God. And effectively he says this, you cannot truly connect with me unless you connect with the poor and the vulnerable with whom I identify. You simply can't do it. It doesn't work. And so one of the places where, where this is expressed is in, in the book of Isaiah. So it's Isaiah 58, starting at verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? 
to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then at verse 9 it continues, Then you will call out and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression with pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. There is an inextricable link between justice and worship, between how we engage with the creator of the universe and how we engage with those that our world considers and treats as the least. There is an inextricable link. And every time we break that link, it grieves God's heart. That's what Isaiah 58 is saying. Some of you may be familiar with the vineyard person. The vineyard person is a a diagram that we use to illustrate what we're about as a church and as a movement. And in that picture, there are uh, two legs. One leg is said to be worship and the other is compassion. And the reality is, is that to do one without the other, you simply can't stand. Because if we seek to, do, to worship God while ignoring his heart for justice, we become inward-looking and self-serving. But if we look to justice and we fail to worship the God who created us, we become self-righteous and judgmental. God is looking for a people who are rooted in worship and compassion, in justice a people who practice both generosity and advocacy because that's what biblical justice is described as. Generosity, time and time again, throughout the Bible, we're commended to go the extra mile in generosity for the vulnerable, for the poor. We just read that in in Isaiah 58.10. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. And we're called to advocacy. We're called to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. In Proverbs 31, it says, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. See, in many ways, the world has changed over the centuries. In the last hundred years, it's probably changed more rapidly than any other time in knowledge and technology. But human nature has not changed. The fundamentals of human nature are still there. And people, we as a as, as a world, we still exclude and we oppress that quartet of the vulnerable. The economically poor, 
children, vulnerable adults, marginalized groups. We continue to do it. According to the Child Poverty Action Group, in 2017 to 18, in the UK, there were 4.1 million children deemed to be living in poverty. That's 30% of children in our country. Currently in the UK, life expectancy of, of men living in the most deprived areas is nine years less than men living in the most wealthy. And the figures are very similar for women. In Nottingham, England is split into 326 districts. Nottingham City, the inner city of Nottingham, is one of those districts. And depending what statistical analysis you use for it, Nottingham City ranks as either the 8th or the 10th most deprived district in the entire country. Dave shared with some figures last week about children in our care system. Four in ten children in care in Nottingham at the moment have emotional and behavioural problems. An estimated 5% of children in care already have a substance misuse problem. And children in care are more likely, twice as likely, to be convicted of a crime than other children within the city. And then we look around the world. And I almost didn't share this this morning because I thought, well, it's just going to be a bit much. But it's a reality. Every year, six million children die from malnutrition before their fifth birthday. Nearly half the world lives on two, less than two pounds a day. And four million, 400 million children right now live in extreme poverty. And so the words in the Bible of that link between worship and justice are no less relevant today than when the, the words were written thousands of years, to go, years ago. I've recently been reading uh, this book, which comes with a health warning. But um, it's written by David Ruiz. He's the uh, national director of the uh, vineyard in Canada, and he's a church planter and a worship leader. And he says this, Worship given that does not come from a community that cares for the poor, rejects injustice and embraces generosity, turns something meant to be sweet into something very sour. It distorts a beautiful melody into something discordant and mutates even the most well-intentioned act of worship into a gift that God will not receive, a sacrifice he completely rejects. Yet we can convince ourselves that God is pleased if we do not learn to see with his eyes, hear with his ears, and retune our senses to what moves and delights his heart. We're called to a life of extravagant worship. But that worship needs to be expressed not just in the songs we sing, but it needs to be from hearts that are prepared to spend ourselves on behalf of the poor and the vulnerable. So we've looked at God's heart for justice through the lens of how God sees worship. And now I'm just going to look very briefly at how we see God's heart through who God created. See, it's difficult to fully grasp how God sees justice until we glimpse 
what he sees when he sees an individual, an individual person, what he sees when he sees a family living in poverty, what he sees when he sees a parent on a low income struggling to provide, what he sees with a child trapped in the care system, and what he sees when he sees a refugee or an immigrant navigating through daily life with all its challenges, including prejudice and discrimination. See, he sees nothing less than someone created in his image. He sees an image bearer of God himself. And that's why the oppression of the vulnerable and the poor is such an affront to God. It's not a matter of non-compliance with the laws that God's made. It's the mistreatment of an individually created image bearer who was knit together in their mother's womb. As I was preparing for today, the other day I was, I was sat at home and I was, I was thinking back to when I was um, 22 years old, some years ago. And I was living at the time in Soho in London and I was involved with a, a ministry there um, reaching out to young homeless in the West End. And over the time, I got to know a lot of the young homeless in the local area. And uh, one night I went out and uh, there was a guy who was, um, who was begging. I hadn't seen him before. And he was, he, I, I introduced myself to him and he, was, he, he said his name was John. And then he told me his story. And it turned out that he was 14 years old and he was from Cork in, in Ireland, which is where my, my mum was from. And, uh, and through a tragic sequence of events, he'd ended up living on the streets of London. And there was something that night with that young man. The man, with, he had the same name as me, the same cultural background. He even looked a bit like me. And it hit me that essentially, but for different circumstances, I could have been the young man sitting on that step, begging on the streets of London. And that year, through the project that I was uh, working with, I, I probably engaged with about 50 young people um, on a regular basis. And I, I had a prayer diary, and I used to write their names in the, in the, in the diary, and, I, and I'd pray for them uh, regularly over the coming year. And um, as I reflected this week, there are three of those 50 that I still remember by name, and I still remember their face. And as I was typing, it was actually yesterday as I, as I was typing, I sense God saying to me, not in any audible voice, but just a sense, John, you remember three of those 50. I remember every single one of those 50 and more. I I saw inside their heart, I know their story, and I still know their story today. Because each of them was a child created in my image. See, if we're going to get God's heart for justice, we have to in some way get how each human being is an image bearer of God. No matter how damaged they become through the struggles and the knocks and the injustices of life, they remain an image bearer of God. And it's only when you and I make that shift that we'll truly capture God's heart for justice. So God's heart for the poor can be seen through how he sees worship, 
who he created, and what God became. See, in the Old Testament, God identified with the poor. In the New Testament, he became the poor. God's son, the second person of the Trinity, came to this earth. He was born into poverty. As a young child, he and his family became refugees. He had a humble background. During the years of his ministry, he had no possessions to speak of. And in the week before his death, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He ate his final meal in a borrowed room. And having been abandoned by his friends and being tortured following a miscarriage of justice, he was brutally killed and he was laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. Jesus knew what it was to be poor. He knew what it was to be socially excluded, to be oppressed, to be misunderstood. And as we see accounts of Jesus throughout the Gospels, we see an amazing thing. We see how time after time he honoured the poor. He honoured the quartet of the vulnerable. He honoured the poor widow who gave out of the little she had. He honoured the woman who in the crowd, who was socially excluded, but she reached out to Jesus in the midst of the crowd for healing and he commended her, he honoured her. He honoured the lepers who were the absolute outcasts of his society. And in a story he told, he honoured the most despised cultural group of the day, the Samaritans. A story that tells what it is to be a good neighbour. And he made sure that the hero of the story was the Samaritan. See, Jesus knew what it was to be poor. And so he just, it was just in him to see the reality of people's lives. And that deep and intimate love for every human being of Jesus is here today. That love that was embodied in Jesus, in God's own son, is there today. It's there for every child in our care system. It's there for every young person here this morning. It's there for every young person struggling with mental health. It's there for every family living in poverty, for every vulnerable adult, for every person suffering with loneliness, whether rich or poor, for every victim of human tra trafficking. See, Jesus is so connected. He's so identified with the poor and the vulnerable that gradually it became ingrained in his followers. And so that when he died and he rose again, and he ascended, he established the church. And the way he had lived was so ingrained in his followers. And that mark that was on the church from the very beginning is summed up in three words. Remember the poor. And it's, we find it in a letter that a man called Paul wrote to the Galatian church. And what had happened was Paul, he had been a dramatic early convert to the Christian faith. And he became a church. He went around and he, he planted churches largely in the Gentile world, the non-Jewish culture. And 
there were others who were reaching out to the, the Jewish culture around them. And he went to visit the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, the Jewish com- in, in Jerusalem. And they were reviewing how things were going. You know, was this the way, the way they should still be doing things? And then he reported the meeting to the Galatian church. And he said this, James, Cephas, and John, those, este- those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, so they should continue with their ministry as they had. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. You see, it was so ingrained in the early church by how Jesus taught and how he lived that for Paul, it almost went without saying that we remember the poor. Whatever the other calling that was in his life, where he was meant to go, remembering the poor was a basic. And as I said, for Paul, it almost went without saying. But for the church through the centuries, and certainly for me, and I'm sure for many of us here today, it doesn't always go without saying to remember the poor. I was at a leader's day a couple of weeks ago, and John reminded us of the, the vineyard person that we, um, I've just talked about earlier on. And he described those, you know, the legs of compassion and worship. And in that, he described how when John and Debbie planted the church 22 years ago, one of the bedrocks of the vision for the church was that it would be a people that would stand in both worship and compassion. That we would be a people marked by the calling of remembering the poor. And that was the calling 22 years ago, and it remains our part of our calling today. And so practically, we see that lived out in our compassion ministries around the church, in the arches, the soup run, Trent debt advice, our prison ministries, our work with partner charities, our commitment to promote fostering and adoption that we've just talked about earlier today, our links with open doors and our commitment to pray for the persecuted church, our commitment to our ministries overseas, like Love the One, led by Kat and Mary in India, Family Impact is led by Lynn in Zimbabwe. And also our link with Nottingham citizens. And just briefly, some of you will be aware that as a church, we're part of Nottingham citizens. It's a, it's a group of 37 civic institutions across Nottingham who seek to come together to look at issues of justice and injustice within our city. And back in the autumn, we had a listening campaign across the city that included small groups within our church. And from that, issues of injustice were, have been identified and action teams have been formed around three core areas. Mental health, young people and education, and fair work and wages. And there's members of this church who are involved in each of those action teams. And on the 26th of June, uh, Nottingham citizens will gather in this room. We'll be hosting... Um, all the different organisations, and uh, where we'll be hearing more about what is happening with those action teams. And we'll be seeking accountability from our city leaders around some of the issues identified 
and I'd encourage any of you that are able to come along to be there. And you can sign up on the, on the website and the details are in the connect sheet. So I've just referred to lots of compassion ministries and things that we do. And I think there's a, a danger potentially in, in a church like ours where our heart can take the foot off the pedal. Because we're doing, aren't we out there doing stuff? But the reality is, is our heart can switch off. But the reality is God's heart never switches off. And I think this morning there's an invitation to each of us. And the invitation is very simple, but not very easy. Am I willing for God to break my heart for the things that break his heart? And I think that's the primary invitation for us this morning. We've reflected on how we understand more of God's heart for justice through how God sees worship. This inextricable link between worship and justice who God created, that each person is made in the image of God and what God became. That in Jesus, God didn't just identify with the poor, but he became the poor. If you're able, would you like to, to stand?